This is the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, Episode 75, Monday, October 30th, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. It's insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joining us today, Blaine Disrude, Research Analyst. Welcome. Hi, Danny. And we got Jason Cooper, another Research Analyst at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you, Jason. Hey, Danny. Maybe to start, we can just thank all the listeners that come back week after week. And if you like what you hear, please share with a friend, colleague, or family member. We really enjoy making these, and your listening and spreading the word means a lot. So let's dive in. And Blaine, what do we see in the upcoming economic data? Yeah, so this week we have consumer confidence coming out. We had numbers for the Michigan survey on Friday, and they came in pretty much in line with expectations. Inflation expectations on the one year was a little warmer than expected, but the five-year number was actually somewhat in line. With that, Wednesday we have FOMC, so we'll get an update from them, seeing what the Fed's thinking. We'll also get the employment data, including jolts, so what job openings have essentially done. Um, That's been a large number throughout the whole course of the year, but has been trending down, so we'll see if that continues. And then we'll also get manufacturing numbers. Um, Then later in the week, towards the end of the week, we get the employment situation report, which is a good indication for us as to how businesses are doing and how uh, the labor market as a whole is holding up. Yeah, and then with respect to earnings, it's still earnings season. But the real big week was last week. And as we flip it over to strengths, I I think the big takeaway is that the AI revolution is here and it's making impacts. And maybe at the outset of the year, there was a bit of uncertainty with respect to how quickly the technology would be able to impact businesses. Um, But after the recent conference calls that we heard from, you know, Microsoft and Amazon in particular, it seems like businesses are starting to adopt this technology and seeing real productivity enhancements from their employees. So one great example that Microsoft gave was that like 40% of Fortune 100 companies are now using the Office Suite Copilot. Um, It's allowing them to have AI effectively built into Teams, Outlook, Excel, Doc, and just overall enhancing worker productivity. And, And the real important number I thought that they provided was within GitHub. That's predominantly where, you know, if you're a software engineer, you can go to write code. And they have Copilot introduced there as well. And what you're seeing is those coders are effectively increasing their productivity by 55%. So we're still at the early innings of the AI rollout, but this isn't something maybe more similar to the dot-com phase where years down the line, there would be the opportunity to monetize the technology and for businesses to increase their productivity. It is starting to happen now. And I think the big beneficiaries of that will be the larger companies that can afford to, to integrate the technology. And I, that's like a really important point because you look back at kind of going through that dot-com era, right? The internet and internet coming online and how will the internet be used? And then you relate that to how AI can be used today. I think one of the biggest things that people initially were thinking was, you know, how can this be automated for everything not just back office, like the back office almost was like an afterthought. And that's, I think, where the early implementation can be made, where you hit a button and, you know, like it can produce forms, it can produce a whole bunch of things or automate a whole bunch of tasks, which AI was around before, but now you can have the layman person like myself or even you, Jason, (laughs) like, you know, type in to generate AI. for duty. Yeah, right. And, and get some sort of like code or some sort of way to like improve our spreadsheets and improve a whole bunch of different things where it's like actually useful and productive right off the bat for us even. 
I mean, the team is already using the technology. We're building out, I would say, better code within Excel or what have you from, from a research perspective with individual equities, for sure. And you do have to be cautious. Like, it's not like everything is 100% accurate. Query what's the data source you're using and then independently verify that it is up to date and accurate because you can get access to old information. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that, you know, recently the market's kind of pulled back here and some of that's been off of, you know, some of the the tech names and so forth. And part of that was, and we talked about this earlier this summer, was expectations might have got a bit optimistic on the very short end where everyone thought AI is here. It's going to be profitable right off the bat for all companies. Everyone's going to be great. Uh, and we're just in this new growth trajectory. And I think that got a little ahead of itself, and we've seen some of that pullback. But longer term, we are seeing what that those implications can be, and like it's really going to be beneficial for a lot of companies and a lot of people. And the relative attractiveness there long term, I think, is still appropriate. On Friday, you had uh, information come out with respect to personal spending. That's still really strong, so another area of strength. And it makes sense because the labor market is strong as long as people have jobs, they're making real income, they're not really going to pull back on their expenditures. And it's especially true for those consumers that were fortunate enough to lock down a 3% mortgage rate. Because if you're doing that, one of your biggest expenses on a monthly basis is locked in and, and not rising with the overall price index. So your real purchasing power is actually increasing as long as your, your wage is rising. Yeah, and you saw, I mean, you've seen kind of that in a broader sense or even larger sense of some of these labor unions and starting to get some some purchasing power, if you will, of having negotiations go their way or putting companies in a spot where it's, you know, it's time to pay the employees. And as a whole, I mean, that's benefiting the economy and holding it up as we've seen the consumer be as resilient as it has. And Not I think- necessarily benefiting the stock market, though. I mean, you look at companies like Ford and UPS who reported, those are businesses that are effectively dealing with these labor unions, and their their shares responded very weakly to their earnings. And you have to figure a large part of that is expecting on a go-forward basis potentially lower margin rates. Yeah, and I think that's really important to note because you had probably over the last decade, right, you kind of look at what real wages had done, flat to somewhat negative and now you're starting to see real wage be positive and while the stocks over the last decade did very well with cheap debt and then being able to improve margins now it's kind of that pendulum swinging back towards the the employees aspect and actually getting the employee a, a proper paycheck if you will which yes, that, that's a that's a good comment blaine and i think it's uh going to feed nicely into an opportunity that you just sparked talking through that that leads to some of our weaknesses here where we talk about We've had Magnificent Seven, the seven companies that have done essentially very well this year from a trading perspective, while the rest of the broader market really just hasn't been participating in that. And some of that deals and comes from some of that margin compression that we've talked about, but also, you know, earnings across the board and the guidance that they're giving. I mean, Jason, this is more your forte, but it just hasn't been all that strong. And now you're talking about, you know, what's that outlook if, if this cost and, and whatnot continues to perpetuate? I'd say that t- 
Maybe it's two of the Magnificent Seven. Is Meta in there? I want to say Meta's in there. I'm, sometimes I forget. They they had a little bit of a weaker guide with respect to ad spending. You know, expect Tesla, their profitability is going to come down as they're lowering auto prices. But by and large, the rest of them, so thinking about Amazon and Microsoft in particular, their guidance was, was favorable. But what's to your point about the weakness, even Microsoft, which had, in my opinion, one of the strongest reports we've seen all year, had a really nice day following the announcement and the next day it gave it right back. It's almost like the general weakness across the market is starting to pull down some of these larger names where maybe they got a bit ahead of themselves. You know, from my perspective, when you look at the businesses and the valuations, it is hard to make that argument. I mean, even looking at Alphabet, who beat decent guidance, maybe a little bit disappointing with respect to their cloud, it's trading close to a conservative valuation target or maybe even below a conservative valuation target where it would be something you'd consider purchasing as opposed to selling. So just bringing it back then, Blaine, to the, to, to the overall market, you look at the bifurcation, the S&P 500 is up 8% year to date, and then the S&P 500 equal weight, I think through Friday was approximately down 4%. So without those magnificent seven, breath has been weak. Yeah, I believe and I, I, I think heard that, it was like one of the weak, like that breath being as weak as it is, is one of the worst that we've seen in a while. And this goes back to when you and Trevor talked about the alligator jaws, right? Like, does the top of the mouth close down on the bottom or does the bottom come up? Um, and kind of, you know, does the top float the rest of the boat and bring, bring the rest of them up to that? And that's going to be something we're going to have to watch. But for anyone who, in essence has a specific mandate on their investment philosophy or their you know specific process that might not include that magnificent seven it's been a more challenging year for for investing and some of that's been due to the ai hype that we've just talked about but some of that's also just been to some of the challenges that these companies are facing with tighter credit and tighter financial conditions and that weakness it's showing up in sentiment scores so if you look at cnn fear and greed index 20 fear. I think earlier in last week, it was maybe below that extreme fear. And when you think about the overall weakness of the market, the other area to consider, and Blaine, this is your area of expertise, is just the choppiness in yields and the fact that the 10-year treasury, which has been so volatile, is effectively the discount mechanism used in arriving at a fair value for all these stocks. So what are you seeing there? You have this supply-demand dynamic, and we've talked about that in the treasury market, where we as a government are issuing more debt. You have a non-captive buyer anymore with the Fed stepping out. And so the market's essentially trying to find what the appropriate pricing is of a treasury today. And I think we're getting closer to that level. Uh, When you look back at where real yields sit and where they have been historically, we're kind of in that, getting more towards that normal range. Granted, you could say that today's economic situation and the backdrop of our government should lead to a higher cost of debt, but for the moment, we're just going through this period of just bouncing around, especially on the 10-year treasury. If you look back, I mean, it's just, it's been violent on, we kind of talked about that before, but it's just continued. You had, interestingly enough, some starting to say or get close to trying to call the peak in rates. I mean, we've had that for a while, but you've actually had a few put their money where their mouth is. Uh, Bill Ackman being one of them, and he covered his short position on longer dated treasuries. While some thought that might be a, an initial signal, it's kind of become a 
a mute point. So we're we're kind of back at this. Is the economic data going to force the Fed to make a decision? Or is there going to be a situation where the Fed has to interact to, in essence, support what is going on from our, our fiscal side? And we'll talk about that more in threats, but that's kind of where we're going right now is you're just getting some volatility in there. All the while it is, and we've talked about this, an opportunity just given where rates are. Pretty interesting dynamic that we're fighting through right now. And, and that level of yields is just, it's not just impacting the values of assets in the financial markets, but it's also impacting the real economy. And on some of the calls over the last week or so, you know, we really heard that from management commentary. So, one great example, it's effectively across um, within the healthcare space, I would say more like medical devices. And what they had said effectively, was that they're seeing medical devices and life science companies. And what they've effectively said is that they're seeing their customers that are purchasing inventory decreasing the amount of inventory that they're holding. Because if you're purchasing inventory and using credit to do it, to, to, to effectively finance your working capital, the cost of capital exists now. And it doesn't make sense to hold excess inventory. So over the last couple of years, we went from that just-in-time pre-COVID to just in case, because everyone was so scared that they wouldn't have access to supply chains. And now it's like, I'm just save me some money. So the the impact is definitely real and it's impacting forward guidance for a lot of the companies in that space who continue to come under pressure. But you have to understand that these are one-time issues. Once that inventory is taken down and you have a drop off in sales, potentially in Q4 or 1Q, Purchasing is going to continue on a on a normalized basis thereafter. These are, from a demand perspective, goods that are constantly in demand and they're consumables. And I guess that's a good opportunity there. Looking at some of these med dev and life science companies, after the initial drawdown, there's going to be a, a, a lot of opportunity for on the individual stock side. And I, I mean, let's just segue into the opportunities here. You're talking about equity valuations and so forth getting pulled down and then not really realizing that while they're cleaning up their balance sheet or trying to avoid increased cost of capital, they're essentially having this one-time hit like you just mentioned, but the, the fundamentals of the business itself are still sound. I think that gets missed sometimes and people overreact, but there's a good long-term trajectory that's showing up in some of those, those fundamentals and those core businesses. I mean, to your point, Blaine, it's amazing how some of these businesses that traditionally have lower levels of earnings volatility that lead many investors to consider them to be higher quality um, because it's easier to forecast. With some of these moves, the volatility in earnings is picking up and it's coming out on lower valuations. So it's definitely an opportunity to pick up some of these names at uh, beaten down prices for investors that are paying attention to the market. And that's like one of Todd's big things is you you look for good run companies that just are guilt by association and, and take that opportunity to try and add to them when you can pretty much built part of his process around that. With that being said, I mean, the bond side is similar where you have yields today that just historically over the last decade plus are, are really attractive. I had a conversation with someone just the other day of, you know, we've had one of the worst periods in the bond market history just over the last three years. We're potentially coming up on a year again where we have negative returns in, in fixed income on the aggregate. And you look out forward and you say, okay, 
went through one of the worst bear markets in, in bond market history. It came all, for the most part, off of interest rate movement, not credit issues. Those companies, for the most part, still are holding up well. They have decent credit, decent balance sheets. Obviously, in the high yield space, there's some skepticism around that. But even if interest rates, given where yields are today, even if interest rates go up another 100 basis points, you potentially can get a positive return next year, just given how much you're earning on a corporate corporate bond portfolio or even the aggregate bond index. When you look at that, you're getting close to six and a half, seven percent on a a corporate bond portfolio, or even if you're looking at the egg, you're getting up in that that six range. And so if interest rates go up another hundred basis points, you might have a drop in the price of those bonds. But that carry that you're getting just off of that yield to maturity is going to be very attractive. And then looking out farther five, ten years, you can lock in that that six, seven percent return for that that duration with the idea that those those companies don't default um and that's getting back to investing in investment grade corporates or just investment grade bonds in general and and doing your due diligence on the credit checks maybe it's a good time to turn it over to threats and and one of the ones that we have already highlighted is just that financial conditions have tightened you've seen interest rate volatility that's impacting capital investments it's impacting deal making it might start to impact consumers, and certainly from a CapEx perspective, it's impacting CapEx. So the question is, at what point do these financial conditions, which have tightened tremendously and are now beginning to work their way up through businesses and consumers, start to impact the economy? Because if you look at the, the growth rate in the third quarter, I mean, it maybe came in soft relative to the Atlanta Fed GDP now estimates, which I think were at like 5.4%, but it was still a strong economy. The GDP number came in at 4.9. So it came in okay, but like when you're you're looking at, Jason, you hit on the CapEx. I mean, just those projects alone, if I'm a business and I'm looking at, let's say, building out a new distribution center or adding in some sort of new division or line or product, and I got to take debt to the market or let's just say issue stocks or go to the bank for a revolving credit or something. I mean, there's a real cost to that now when it just wasn't there before. You could essentially bring debt to market for almost nothing. And the net present value on those projects was always going to be essentially positive, right? Like it might not have been the best return, but at least you were adding value to the business. And now you actually have to like sit down and and run the numbers and say, okay, is this actually going to be a positive alpha add or a value add to this business or is this something that we just have to walk away from and and slow down our growth yeah definitely a threat to the scooter sharing industry i don't think that was well thought through it's peculiar blaine because what we always talk about is that perhaps the entity most impacted by higher interest rates is our government and it's a function of the fact that the budget deficit's high the total amount of indebtedness is high so total federal debt relative to gdp is over 120 percent and as those treasuries mature, they're refied at a higher rate, interest expense increases. As interest expense increases, you have even bigger deficits. And I, I, think, I think that for the last fiscal year, you now have interest expense was $981 billion, and the, the number is only going up. You yeah. have these short duration liabilities. It looks like the increase in treasury auctions over the course of next year is like it's going to be 26%. It's twenty-six percent um, more treasury treasuries being brought to market next year. It's something else. You look at the distribution of our government's debt, and it's 
more front-loaded than high-yield companies. And high-yield companies generally don't have long-duration debt. We as a country typically have rolled treasuries. Uh, You look back in 2020 and 2021 would have been an absolutely brilliant time to push out those those maturities to 30 and potentially 100 years if we were (laughs) smart enough to do that. But we we as a country didn't. And now we are faced with the, the issue of we're spending more than we take in. We don't necessarily have massive tax reform on the books, right? The election year is not going to allow for big tax changes or ideas for tax, tax changes after the election. I'm sure that'll be a front and center topic. But you look at that and the, again, take out the captive buyer of the Fed, and that's not allowing treasuries to come down necessarily on on that curve yet we've talked about it jason like there's potentially a point where the the fed has to step in just to help alleviate some of the pressure that our our country faces from from the cost of interest on the debt that we have outstanding because it is very large i think with that we can wrap it up but that's a an outstanding threat that i don't think is going to go away very soon and the way that it gets remedied is going to be either very unique or uh, something that has massive impacts to the to the market. What's our headline strength this week? Okay, so it'd be artificial intelligence. It's here. Headline weakness. Bad breath pulls equity returns lower. Headline opportunity. The risk reward for stocks and bonds has improved. And our headline threat. Conditions are getting tight. Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, Episode 75. Jason Cooper, Research Analyst, thank you. Thanks, Danny. And Blaine Disrude, Research Analyst, thanks. Thanks, Danny. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.